This episode of Voices in My Head is brought to you by Podbean. With Podbean, you can create professional podcasts in minutes without any programming knowledge. Best of all, everything is mobile-ready right from the start. Visit podbean.com voices to find out more. That's podbean.com voices. Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, a songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is where I discuss music, movies, books, pop culture, theology, and more with friends, colleagues, and sometimes just by myself. Now make sure to let me know what you think of today's episode by leaving me a review on iTunes, or by tweeting at me, at Rick Lee James on Twitter, And please join my mailing list at rickleejames.com where you can receive an email every time a new episode is released. And by the way, in case you're interested in a daily dose of kindness and encouragement beyond this podcast, I also run the Twitter account at MrRogersSay where I post daily quotes from Fred Rogers, one of the voices in my head. Well, I guess that's it for the intro, so sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of Voices in My Head. My guest today on Voices in My Head is Pete Peterson. Pete, also known by his author name, A.S. Peterson, is the author of the Revolutionary War adventure novel, The Fiddler's Gun, and its sequel, Fiddler's Green, as well as a variety of short stories. As a playwright, he has published The Battle of Franklin, first produced by Studio 10 in 2016, and revived in 2017, and has also adapted a play, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which premiered to great acclaim in August 2018 for the 200th anniversary of the publication of the classic novel. He and his wife live in Nashville, Tennessee, where he is the executive director of The Rabbit Room and managing editor of Rabbit Room Press. Pete Peterson, welcome to Voices in My Head. Hey man, I'm glad to be here. I am so glad to have you here, and I just want to uh, say to anyone listening that you they may be wondering, why do you sound weird today, Rick? Well, I have a bit of a cold, and I'm just getting my voice back, so um, I am just wanted to put that quick disclaimer out in case people are wondering what's going on with me today, but I am so glad to have you here today. I've enjoyed what I've had the opportunity to read, uh, what you have written, and uh, I've enjoyed really the community that has been set up online, especially through the Rabbit Room Chinwag on Facebook and other mm-hmm. places. So I'm just really glad to have this opportunity to sit down for a few minutes and pick your brain today. Yeah, man, um, have a talk. Now, I've had a lot of writers on this show over the year, and I've had novelists, I've had songwriters, I've had film writers and comic book writers even, but in over 300 episodes of this show, I think you're my first playwright that I've ever had on. So, um I want to start out by ask <laughs> I want to start out by asking you, what do you personally love about the theater and what makes it unique from other art forms? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, let me see. Uh, well, I don't know. Like, I I can't honestly say that I chose theater as an art form. It kind of chose me. Hmm. Um, years ago, I was in film school, so I always envisioned myself writing scripts uh, for feature films. And you know, pretty not too far into film school, I got I kind of fell out of love with that. But you know, I did I did learn a bit about the craft. 
And then, you know, my real love became novel writing and short stories and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, a decade later, I just kind of found myself in a position where, you know, a local theater company um, asked me, you know, hey, would you be interested in in writing a play? And I said, yeah, sure, because I try not to say no to things when when I get a good opportunity. And uh, yeah, it just ended up being something I really enjoyed. It was a lot of fun. And I like to joke sometimes that um, <laughs> people say, what do, I, what do I like about playwriting? And as a novelist or, or you know, a, an essayist or, or a poet, um, you know, you write your stuff and then you publish it and you just kind of release it into the world to deafening silence. And, you know, you never know. Or often you, you never know if anybody ever was uh, moved by it or appreciated it. Sometimes, you know, you get feedback through reviews and stuff. But in general, release day is a big disappointment, you know. It's really kind of this weird uh, this weird experience. So then I had the experience of, of playwriting in which you get to go to opening night. And even if the play didn't go off uh, flawlessly, everybody stands up at the end and claps. And I was kind of like, oh, I like this. <laughs> um, so anyway, that, it is really different. It's very different. And part of what I love about it, um, all joking aside, is that it's collaborative in a way that uh, other writing art forms are not. Certainly screenwriting is often collaborative. But generally poetry and uh, prose or fiction writing are not. Uh, and so, you know, when I've written a play, you know, I've, had, I've been blessed to be able to work with uh, people that I really see eye to eye with and have a great creative synergy with mm-hmm. and uh, so it's a comfortable safe space to work and and i can kind of put stuff out there and we can work through it and invariably whatever i'm left with at the end of the process is far better than what i could have come with with on my own wow. which is a huge huge blessing and relief because you know when you write a write a novel it's kind of all all on your shoulders yes you have an editor but you know ultimately it's all up to you and and one of the things that's been a real joy about uh, playwriting is that it's so collaborative that i have a whole team of people um not just informing what i write but like interpreting it in ways that i didn't see foresee you know so you know i might write a character one way and then when the actress embodies it on the stage i'm like oh i didn't envision that and that'll drive me back to the script to kind of write it in a way that she will be able to even more fully embody and so that's just a really fascinating aspect of the art form that I enjoy. Oh, sure. And that's that's almost parabolic in some ways, I think, when you think of the way that someone will look at parables and they're they're not as simple as, you know, everybody always says parables are like these really short, simple stories, but they may be simple in some ways, but they're very complex in that um, yeah. so many people can, can look at them and come away with a different thought from them and, and different ways right. to inspire. And so I actually, until you had said that about the different way the actors will respond and then the playwright himself will go back and respond differently because of the actor and, and the way they played it. That's fascinating to me. That's a, a yeah. great thing to think about. And um, another thing about just, just the, you know, the art of writing a play is because what I write is not the final form that the story is going to take. It requires a certain humility. You know, when I sit down and write my novel, I am in absolute control of what ends up on the page and, and what reader experiences. Whereas as a playwright, it's not my job to control every aspect of, of the experience. It's my job to provide a framework and a set of tools for which a group of actors and a director and a set designer and a songwriter and all these other people 
can bring their craft to bear on my framework, and then that all results in the final process. Hmm. That's, that's terrific. Um, well, I, I want to ask you um, this question. You've, you've written uh, a couple of really well-reviewed plays, The Battle of Franklin and Frankenstein. Um, so this question is, will you ever write a play that doesn't have Frank in the title? Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, that... <laughs> yeah, I will. I have. All right. And, and I am working on one now. Yeah. Oh, okay. the, that the first play that I had produced. It wasn't the first play that I had written. Um, I actually wrote another play, which I'll leave nameless at the moment, um, prior to that for the same theater company that uh, for various reasons we just never ended up completing. But I hope to go back to it one day. And it, there was no Frank anywhere in it. <laughs> oh, that's that's terrific. Well, yeah. that was that was not not my real question. Uh, so I'll ask you my ask my actual one. Uh, okay. Uh, that's not silly like the last one was, but I I'm just curious about how the Frankenstein play came about. I had recently, actually, in the last two years, I think was the probably the first time I ever actually read uh, Mary Shelley's novel myself. And I was surprised to find really how different it was than what I had envisioned through what Hollywood has portrayed over the years and, and different art forms. And yeah. I found it to be a truly fascinating and, and really deep book. Um, I, I just love to know kind of how the play came about and, and how you came about to, to write it. Sure. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Most people's perception of Frankenstein is not um, the reality of Mary Shelley's book. And I, I've, you know, for years have been a huge fan of the book, um, for exactly those reasons. I was, I was a fan of its philosophy, uh, its philosophical questions, its uh, sociological questions, its theological questions, uh, far more than the basic science versus, um, uh, what is it? Science versus, uh, you know, the dangers of uh, exploratory science kind of theme. Sure. Um, but uh, when we, uh, Matt Logan and I, who was the director, Matt was the director of uh, Battle of Franklin, and coming off the second year of that, he just said, hey, because he had just seen, um, he had just seen the the version of it with Benedict Cumberbatch, which was showing in, in London, oh, and it just man. opened, and uh, was really dissatisfied with it, and he said, you know, I just thought there were some missed opportunities there, would you be interested in maybe us doing our own version next year for the 200th anniversary of the publication of the book. And I was like, heck yeah. I like, I can't think of anything I'd be more delighted to work on because I'm such a huge fan of the book. So that's where it came from. And then I, I immediately went home and read uh, the, the, the version that he had seen in, in London. And I was just, I was kind of appalled by how vapid it was. Like hmm. just, it was not a good adaptation at all. It didn't, do anything interesting and I just thought we have a real opportunity here to to bring this story to another generation and really dig into some territory that I haven't seen explored before and so that was what was exciting about it to me to really get into the theological questions that it wrestles with and uh, you know I was just it was my good luck that I happened to be working with a director that was interested in that vision of it as well so, um, you know, our, our adaptation is not what most people have seen before. Uh, it, uh, it does vary um, from the book in a few uh, interesting ways. One of the things we wanted to try to uh, address was the fact that even though Mary Shelley, you know, as a woman had written it in the, 
you know, uh, early uh, 19th century. Uh, that was kind of, you know, at that time, it was unheard of for a woman to write a book like that. And it, you know, it was kind of, she was a, her, her mother was a, a famous feminist and, you know, she was kind of like uh, blazing the trail for female writers at the time. But then interestingly, like none of the, the female characters in her book um, are interesting at all. <laughs> they don't have any agency. They don't really do anything. So we really wanted to find a way to present the play in a way that um, gave some of the female characters a bigger part to play. And uh, so, you know, Elizabeth, Victor's betrothed, was the way that we did that. And uh, I really think it just enriched the play in a variety of ways by bringing out her character and giving her a bigger part to play uh, between Victor and or adding her relationship with Victor and the monster to the relationship of Victor and the monster and her. It created this kind of interesting triangle. I don't want to say love triangle. That's the wrong word. But this triangle of perspectives that really brought the play to life, and that was a lot of fun. Oh, very yeah. interesting. Well, I'm glad to know that um, because since I haven't had the uh, honor of seeing the play yet, I was kind of curious um, which angle you were coming at because it seems like you could take a, a few different characters from that book. So, so really, you have uh, Victor Frankenstein and Elizabeth and uh, Frankenstein's monster, or um, the person he creates. Uh, so would you say those are pretty much the three that the play revolves around? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's definitely their play. They're the three main characters. Okay. You know, and we winnowed, winnowed the characters back to as few as we could. I think there ended up being, you know, ten people or less in the in the production. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of those are just kind of bystanders in the crowd uh, for certain scenes. Uh, but yeah, it was it was it just it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. That's great. I'm curious because you mentioned it. What were uh, some of the theological questions that you personally found interesting to deal with in in yeah. writing this play? Yeah. Well, it was I was fascinated by the idea that um, uh, you know we are mankind as a you know we are fallen beings like we bear the curse of the fall, uh, so nothing we do is perfect. Only God creates perfect things. Um, so then I was fascinated with this this man, Victor Frankenstein, who was, you know, trying to play God and creating a life form of his own in his own image. So, you know, in the same way that we're created in God's image, we, we bear a lesser version of God's image hmm. um, and a fallen version of that image, too. So then if that fallen image creates something else in its image, you've got like this another this, this uh, additional uh, layer of removal from the primary image of God. And so I was just fascinated by wondering, like, what would that creature be like? Like, how would it be flawed? Um, how would it respond to its creator? And, you know, because like we, uh, uh, we're, you know, products of a, of a perfect creator. And here the monster is the product of a very imperfect creator. Mm. So in that context, what would his relationship with his creator be? Because it can't be the same way that ours is. Um, and, you know, one of the, you know, big uh, conclusions I think that the, the play draws is that, and, and the monster points this out, is that, you know, God was willing to step into his own creation and redeem it. Mm. Uh, but Victor is not willing to redeem his own creation. He's only willing to hate it. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah, so there was a lot. And then there, in addition to that, there I think there's another layer, too, of like, how do we treat or, or how do we handle the gifts we're given and the way that uh, we present our 
our creative work to the world. You know, so there's a sense in which if I write a book, it's part of my job to love my book and give it its best chance in the world because it's a product of the spiritual gift of writing that I've been given by my creator. And so then Victor, you know, he his creation, his creative expression in the world, this thing that he makes, he chooses to hate it. And uh, and and the result of that is that the thing that he created ends up destroying them. Mm. You know, and I think there's a lesson for artists in that, you know, like if we create something and then we 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 try to disown it and like, you know, don't treat it well and don't treat it with the love that it deserves. You know, it's going to come back and it's not going to love us in return. Mm. Anyway, there's just there's a lot of interesting angles like that in that book that um, I think we're there. I don't like I think Mary Shelley. She wasn't. She was not a subtle writer. <laughs> yeah. If you read the book, you know this. It's very well dramatic, and I think there's a lot of there are a lot of layers to that story that I don't know. I don't know that it's fair to say that she didn't realize that they were there, but she chose not to focus on them. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting to me to go and te- into the story and tease out some of those like hidden layers that we don't often see in popular adaptations of the story. Well, that's, you know, it's very interesting you, you make that connection and thinking about um, Victor, um, you know, being a created being, trying to create another being. And um, I, I wonder if sometimes I love what you were just saying about the writing process. Um, did it did it feel like ever to you or, or does it feel like when you're adapting someone else's work? Are you scared that what you're creating is going to be the monster that you hate? Oh, yeah. <laughs> speak? Oh, oh, absolutely. We had, the, I had this discussion with my wife over and over again just mm-hmm. during the process of adapting Frankenstein. Like, uh, you know, I'd finish a new draft and I'd come home and she'd say, well, how did it go? And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, it's so bad. It's so bad. Like, I'm going to be ruined. Everybody's going to hate this. You know, and I would realize as I'm saying it, I'm being Victor Frankenstein. You know? Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm refusing to see the good and the thing. And to work for it's good. And, uh, you know, it didn't end up being a monster. It ended up being really good. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's interesting the way that happens. The, the, it's, it's impossible to self, separate yourself as the creator um, from the story when you're writing about a story about a creator. Like, it's all wrapped up together in your mind, and it's kind of weird. That's a that's a really powerful perspective to think about, and I need to remember that myself as someone who creates music. And I, there's times that I feel exactly that same way. And I've I've said to uh, to my wife as well as we're leading up into the last couple of weeks before I have a new album coming out. I'm like, what if people are going to hate this? What if I hate this? You know. <laughs> and it's interesting to um, to hear you say that. It's it's wonderful to hear actually. And um, I want to ask you because we we did both of us mention wives right now, and my wife's name is Jennifer as well. Um, I, I'm curious, what part does she play in in the writing of <laughs> these plays? Uh, I could not do it without her. I, I mean that very literally. I mean, she's more than just my uh, moral support. Like mm. you know, when I finish a draft, uh, the it, playwriting is. This is one of the ways in which it's very different from novel writing, to me at least, because a, a novel is made to be read uh, by a reader. And that's something I can do on my own. I can read it and know if I like what I've got. But a play is meant to be performed aloud by people. And so it's very hard to know if it's working or not until that happens. 
So when I finish a draft, I come home and print it out and Jennifer and I sit at the table and I'm like, okay, we divide up the parts and we read through it. We act through it out loud together. And that enables me to see where, oh, like this isn't, this relationship isn't working. Uh, these story beats aren't hitting the way that they need to. This scene isn't landing the way it's supposed to. And oh, we've got to write another scene here. And so that this one in act two, you know, goes off the way it's supposed to. And those are things that are very difficult to see until you've heard it out loud. Hmm. Uh, so she's a huge help. Like, like by the time, you know, we get down to rehearsals, Jennifer has read it more than anybody else you know including me or including me but uh, other than me and uh yeah she's a real trooper about it because she reads the earliest worst drafts and you know grins and bears it <laughs> <laughs> man what a, what a terrific wife and and helper in doing that that's really wonderful and i think that's probably something unique that a lot of people long for as creative people so you're you're a very blessed person to have her to do that and kind of walk through that journey with you um, well, I want to ask you uh, as well, I'd love to get your thoughts on this because we have a, a culture that um, for a number of reasons, um, music is very prevalent because music is, you know, basically so cheap. A lot of times uh, people who make music have trouble making money because it just seems to stream practically free everywhere. Movies and TV shows are almost becoming that way. Things like Netflix, they're just you know, kind of everywhere. So it seems like the main art forms that we ingest, even more than reading, um, tend to be listening to music and, and, and watching things, it seems like to me anyway. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm curious because, um, you know, something like the theater is a little bit more cost prohibitive. You actually have to, um, you know, get dressed up and go down to the theater, you know, and, right. and see a film. I'd love to get kind of your thoughts on um, maybe, I guess, if theater would be your preference or what um, unique thing it might have to offer that, that movies or other forms that we usually just kind of surround ourselves with, yeah. what it might have to offer to us that those things don't. Yeah, um, man, I love theater. And the main reason is, and the reason I think it's so important, so unique amongst the sort of entertainment literary art forms is that it's uh, communal. Uh, it, you, you don't participate in theater by yourself. You know, when you go to a movie, the movie theater could be empty and you can sit there and you can watch the people on the screen do their things and you are the only one that's experienced that. Mm -hmm. When you go to the theater, even if there's nobody else in the audience, you're still not the only one in the room. There's still a troop of actors on stage going through the story and uh, experiencing it and feeling the emotions. And there's a big difference between, like if you go if you go to a movie and watch a scene in which an actress breaks down into tears and completely falls apart emotionally on the screen, mm -hmm. that's, one, that's one experience. And it's a completely different experience to be in a theater and see a woman, an actual woman, uh, 10 feet in front of you do the same thing. Uh, it's, it's kind of inescapable. You know, you're, you're, you're complicit in what's happening on the stage because you're in the same three-dimensional space with these people. And I think that's also especially effective when, when things take place on stage that are violent. Um, it doesn't have to be, like, gratuitously violent like we see in a movie. It can just be a kind of, like, abstract stage violence. But because you're in the room with this stuff that's happening emotionally, it hits us completely differently. And we feel complicit in what's going on because we're really sitting here watching real people 
interact with one another. And I think that's what's really different about the stage is that it's inescapably communal. Um, it requires a group of people to sit around and interact with one another. And even if you're just the audience, you are still interacting with the actors on the stage. Um, it's kind of it's it's just a magical kind of art form, and it's really unfortunate that it is more difficult to partake in and that it's so expensive. Uh, but um, if you participate in theater for very long, you you really quickly understand why it costs that much. And it's not because anybody's making any money. Believe me, actors are paid worse than musicians. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's about how much it costs to put this on, like to build the sets and. Uh, to rent the space and, you know, to, uh, to sew the costumes and to write the play and all this stuff. It's an unbelievable amount of work. Uh, you know, somebody one time said that, you know, theater is, you know, one of the most complex art forms uh, in our civilization because like a single play that's put on involves like 16 different individual artistic crafts. Mm. And so he's talking about like, you know, you have the playwright. Um, and hopefully all these people are working at the top of their game uh, to present something that is uh, astonishing. So, you, you know, you have the playwright, you have the director, you have the, the set designer, you have the sound designer, you have the lighting designer, you have the costume designer, you have all the individual actors doing all their individual things. You often have a songwriter, a, somebody scoring the music, um, the set uh, uh uh, production assistants and stage managers and all this like it's so many people that are required to know such specific information and to do it at such a flawless level to make that story work that one time for you when you're in the audience that is this kind of magical gift that comes together to present you with a story and i just think that's beautiful and unlike film or a book or a, an album uh, it's only done for this finite amount of time, you know, like Frankenstein run, ran for, you know, two and a half, three weeks. And if you weren't in one of those seats to see that gift while it was presented, then it's gone forever. I mean, there'll be other productions, but they won't be the same production. Yeah. You know, and it's going to be different next time somebody does it. It's just, it's a fascinating art form. Yeah, that is. And, you know, speaking of that, I'm I'm wondering, is there any talk of, uh, this production may be going on the road or playing in different towns in the future or how does that work when you when you write a play i'm 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 very yeah. ignorant unfortunately of how that works to get sort of a play out into the world yeah unfortunately so am i i <laughs> i don't, I don't really understand how that works mm. i've kind of uh committed this year to try to figure that out mm -hmm. because we would love to see the play go on and have a life beyond nashville i know there's a there's a theater up in um i think grand rapids that's going to be producing it this halloween oh wow um and then there's been a couple other theaters that are interested regional theaters but as far as like actually putting this tour of our production on the road uh you know it's, it's a really hard thing it just it basically i think it would require somebody with a whole lot of money to come along and say hey i want to invest in this and oh, uh you know if i was if, if if playwriting and theater production was my number one uh, priority in the world, I would be happy to chase that down. Unfortunately, it's just a thing that I do aside from a whole lot of other things. And so I don't know that I've got time to really go figure that out, um, which is a shame. But, you know, if it's supposed to happen, it will. Well, maybe when it comes to Grand Rapids, I'll try to get up and see it. It's a little closer than uh, than Nashville is to me these days. So where are you? Uh, that's, I'm in Springfield, Ohio. Oh, okay. Uh, so it'd probably just be, I think maybe a four-hour drive or something for me. Yeah. But um, 
Well, that's good to know, though. So I'll I'll just put it out there to anybody listening who has a lot of money and wants to finance <laughs> this to go on the road. Feel free. I, that would be a wonderful thing. And and we have a great theater um, in my city here in Springfield, Ohio. That uh, it's actually the John Legend Theater, and John Legend, the the singer, is from my town here, and uh, put a lot of money into it, and and gave our community a real gift in that that people can affordably come and do. Um, different plays and, and they're using it a lot more so I'm grateful that we That's have great. that in our community I'm, maybe one of these days we'll be able to see your play uh, coming into our city one of your plays I'd, I'd love for the chance to see that but I am all for um, it well I have I've really appreciated hearing your perspective today and, and having you take some time and um, I, I have just I think two more questions I want to ask if you have time sure. um, and one has to do with your writing but before I get to that one I'm just curious uh, what your thoughts are on um, like old time radio theater because there was a time uh, that in itself was a different art form and I've enjoyed just through some podcasts being able to discover a few of the old um, radio plays that really I don't think we hear much anymore every now and then there might be a, a you know, a pure, uh, prairie home companion type thing that we'll be able to hear, but nothing yeah. really on a regular basis. Um, were you ever a fan of, of, you know, finding some of the old time radio theater type shows and being able to listen in? I don't, I've never really paid that close attention to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the kind of thing that I enjoy it when I encounter it, but I, sure. I've never kind of gone out of my way to pursue it. Sure. I will say that like, um, uh, you know, when we're workshopping a play, often we'll do the radio kind of production of it. Mm. What I mean by that is, you know, it's not staged. You know, we have actors just kind of walk up to the mic and do their part and then, you know, go sit down. So we get the we get the interaction of all the voices and some sound effects and some stage directions read kind of like you hear on old radio productions. And that's always really fun, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I have had a couple people suggest that we could, with Frankenstein specifically, mm -hmm. that perhaps we could do a uh, an audio version of it that would be available, and I think that would be really fun. Um, yeah. That yeah. would be so, amazing. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. that would, <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting idea. Yeah. I really, I'm, 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 I'm two minds of it though, because like, sure. you know, on the one hand it sounds really fun, and on the other hand, you know, part of what makes theater theater is it's three dimensionality. Mm, sure. You know, so I try to think in um, the three dimensions of a stage. So it's not just about the words. It's about where things are positionally and you're, you're creating images on the stage that inform the story. And so you lose all that when you go into radio. So I'm a little mm. hesitant about it. Cause like uh, sure. with Frankenstein in particular, there's some things of about the show that are very spatial that would be lost and that makes me a little nervous but you know i guess you take what you can get maybe we'll sure see. sure it would be an interesting idea for sure well the the last uh, thing i have it's not really a question it's more of a thank you and uh, I've, I've had the chance to read a few of your short stories online and um, every now and then when I when I get someone on the show that I've admired their work, it's it gives me a chance to say thank you for what it's meant in my own life. Um, there's one story in particular that I came across a few years ago that I had I had seen online. 
um, that you wrote, and I don't know if it was something that actually happened to you and you made into a story or if mm -hmm. it was just the way that you told, but it was about um, the, the character in the story anyway um, had hit a deer. And, oh, right. Uh, and the deer lay on the side of the road, and, and yeah. I, it seems like it's you writing that. Yeah. Um, but it's one of the most beautiful and haunting stories that I've ever read as uh, the person who hit the deer is, is just waiting, not knowing what to do as this deer is suffering and life is slipping away and sort of ends with this prayer of how long, O Lord. Um, and I, I've just I've referred back to that uh, numerous times to, to various people, especially when they're going through um, some really difficult times and are, you know, and, and allowing people to, to say it's okay to ask that question, how long, yeah. Lord, it's okay to come at God it that way. So, so more, more than a question, I, I just wanted to thank you for that story um, in particular and what it's meant to me over the years. And um, well, I, I look, yeah, I just, I look forward to, to seeing more in the coming days. I appreciate what you do. Yeah, you're welcome, and thank you for telling me that. That's actually I've written that in response to uh, the book Silence by Shusaku Endo, which is about Christian persecution in Japan. Mm. And um, I'm actually glad you brought that up because I'm in the middle right now of, of adapting Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place for oh, wow. for, for the stage. And um, so I've been in the middle of really trying to think through the problems of uh, suffering and how we encounter and respond to it. Because uh, you know the la latter half of that book is her and and uh, her and her sister in a concentration camp during World War II, hmm. and uh, we this year we we actually went over to Europe and went to the concentration camp and it's just one of the most bleak, dark, uh, emotionally powerful experiences of my life, hmm. and I've been wrestling with how exactly to get that on stage, and uh, in a way that's satisfying. Sure. Um, and, and in a way that wrestles with those questions in a satisfying way and doesn't become trite. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, I'm, I actually need to go back and read that article that you're talking about because it, it occurs to me that I had already written some about those ideas and that might be helpful. So, yeah, thanks. <laughs> good reminder. Well, good. <laughs> well, good. Glad I could help out there. Well, it has been wonderful to, to have some time with you today, and as I say to all my guests every time they're on this show, uh, thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining me here this week on Voices in My Head. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleejames.com, where you can find out more about me, get my music on vinyl and CD, follow my blog, and even schedule me for a concert or a speaking engagement. Better yet, even a book signing in your neighborhood. You can find all that and more at rickleejames.com. Also, it would mean a great deal to me if you could write a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast will be online. And now, for the benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you, and thank you for listening to Voices in My Head.